0: body do okay.
1: Good morning. 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 Let's go through a couple of announcements here. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Hebrews 11, verse 8. Uh, You see in uh, the bulletin here, a memorial gift has been sent to Dr. Ed, in memory of Suzanne, and if you'd like to contribute to the gifts, see Sheila. Uh, he received the gift uh, was a couple of days later after it was sent, and he's very grateful for it. Uh, please place your offering envelopes in the offering box beginning today. Our deacons will begin counting as well. Baby bottle campaign for the pregnancy center had been postponed due to COVID-19 we will be taking an offering for the center the first sunday of august uh, andrea is still our contact number for prayer chain and as you can see days of praise booklets are here with acts and facts for july do we have any uh, other announcements or things to add Laura and Doug, welcome back. We haven't seen you folks for a while. It's it's a blessing to have you. How's the update with your mother? She's
0: doing well. Very good. She got to visit her, had two visits so Excellent. She doesn't
1: know the <laughs> She's good? Terry, you look like you got something to say. No? <laughs> I'll
0: make up something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: as long as it's funny and humorous and to the point. Okay, Scripture for Meditation, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. That'll be page 17 in your pew Bibles. Would you stand with us as we begin our morning worship with prayer? Guess who I'm going to ask to lead us in prayer today? (laughs) (laughs) Doug, would you do the honors, please? Please remain standing for song. I don't see Andrea here today, nor do I see Jolene, so I think you're stuck with me. Oh, you're running sound. Okay. Easy way to get out of it. Okay, folks. uh, Number 34 in the hymnal, the brown, and sing loud and joyously to drown me out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> for a congressional hymn. Somebody, come on, don't leave me hanging in the wind here. <laughs> Sheila's looking. <laughs> Laura's looking. What's that?
0: <laughs>
1: come, what page?
0: Uh-huh.
1: What is it? Number two in the brown. Okay.
2: Wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger bought me with his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how greater a debtor! Daily
1: Scripture reading Hebrews eleven, verses eight through nineteen, page eighteen seventy five in the pew.
3: verses
1: 8 through 19. By faith, Abram, when called to go to a place, he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were lodging for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, For he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. May the Lord add his blessing to this holy and inspired word. If you'll turn with me in the Trinity, hymn number 98. <clears throat>
2: <clears> Thank <throat> you.
3: Thankful for the stool, but it's a project to get into it. (laughs) It keeps pushing up while I'm trying to sit down. (laughs) It's got one of those hydraulic uh, thingy-dings on it. (laughs) All right, our text of scripture today for our study is Hebrews 11, verses 8 and following. In our last lesson on living by faith, we looked at the subject, faith in the family. We learn that children are a part of God's original plan of marriage. His heritage, actually. His legacy for us to raise in the knowledge of God so that they will become a spiritual blessing to future generations. I don't know if many Christians have understood that, but we have a responsibility to raise up a godly seed. Um, Think about this. If we don't do it, where's the godly seed going to come from? I mean... The pagans aren't going to raise children to love the Lord and go to church and support the ministry of missionaries and so forth. They're just not going to do that. They're not into that. So it has to be God's family that does this. And um, praise the Lord for your faithfulness. We learn that godliness never occurs in children automatically. Never. They're not born innocent. They're not born sinless any more than we adults. Godliness involves training in righteousness. We talked a little bit about methodology, the instructions from the Bible. The Bible is our moral code of right and wrong. It is also sole source of information about the will of God. We're not mystics, we're not out in the woods looking for God to speak to us through the trees and the leaves. Although I like the trees and the leaves. We also talked about the need for discipline in children. Sin nature is in a child as well as in adults. They sin on their level, to be sure. We talked about the rod of discipline. Scriptures encouraged such. And um, I know that we get a lot of flack from the the world, especially the sociologists and so on. They, they don't like the idea that... Uh, We might discipline our children with the rod, but the scripture says that we are to drive the foolishness out of them with the rod. And by foolishness, it doesn't mean silliness. It means the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's the foolishness that we seek to drive out. Today, our theme, Living by Faith, deals with um, faithful fathers can't find a better example in the Old Testament than Brother Abraham, and so we'll be talking of him today. Let's begin with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word and for the fact that uh, we can count on it. It's old, it's ancient, but you have spoken. And the recorders of your words, Moses in particular, as we study the text today, wrote under inspiration of the Spirit of God. These are not their thoughts. It's not just their musings, their uh, observations. It is thus saith the Lord, brought to them by way of the Holy Spirit, so that when they spoke or when they wrote, there was a divine unction behind all that they said and wrote. They were sinners, just like us, but you used them in a special way, And it was a period in history when there was no Scripture, but you were giving Scripture. And so it had to start somewhere. We're thankful for the Old Testament saints that you used to give us the Old Testament Scriptures, and then later the New Testament writers as well, the apostles and prophets of the New Testament as well. Thank you for the written Word of God. We hear a lot today about God said this to me, God spoke to me, and so on. But people are talking about voices and visions and things of that nature, which are all finished. At one time, that was true, but not anymore. Why not anymore? Because you have spoken, and your word is completed. We are told at the last book of the Bible not to add to it or subtract from it. If we do, we're going to be cursed. So I pray that you'll help us just to love the word that's been written. And to learn from it in Christ's name. For your glory and our good we pray these things. Amen. Amen. I want to talk today a little bit from this Genesis account about faithful fathers. Now it's not Father's Day. (laughs) But it's appropriate. And in particular we're looking at Abraham. And I want to talk to you about firstly his beginning faith. We all have to begin somewhere, right? I mean, that's the way it is. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when called to go out to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I am amazed every time I read this verse. He went out not knowing where he was going. He just obeyed and went. When taken within the historical record of Genesis, it is absolutely startling and revealing. Let me read it for you. Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, his daughter-in-law Sarai, and the wife of his son Abram, and together they went out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out for Haran, Genesis eleven thirty-one and following. I can really relate to this because I'm only one year older than Abraham was when he was called to go to this particular area. Ur of the Chaldeans and Haran are located geographically in the very region known today as Iraq. We learned in history, in our school days, that this was the Fertile Crescent. It became the Empire of Babylon, later became the Empire of the Persian Empire, same area location. You can see why. I mean, if it's fertile if it's a wonderful land, if it's watered well, if it's great for growing, growing crops, these empires are going to put their uh, a stamp of authority in those locations. But it was a land populated with pagan idolaters. And Abraham's family was no exception. That's what we must remember. Let me read it for you. Joshua. Tells us the account in chapter 24 of his book, verse 2 and 3. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river, that would be the Euphrates, and worshipped other gods. Ooh. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river, and I led him throughout the Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. Joshua 24, verse 2 and 3. So they all started out as pagans. Say, so, well, Now just think about it: God had to start somewhere, right? He had to start to, to have a people called by his name. He had to start somewhere. And what did he have to work with? A bunch of pagans, God-haters, idolaters. Abraham's father was an idolater. So was his brother Nahor. And Haran, his other brother, who was fathered a lot. and, And died while yet in Ur, Genesis 11, verse 28. This family, under Terah's leadership, traveled as far as Haran, a town named after the son who died, and there Terah himself died, yes, leaving Abraham, Sarai, and his nephew Lot. That's what's left of this caravan. Of course, they had their servants with them, things of that nature. And it's from this point that Abraham is finally in compliance with God's command. What was the command? Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your father's household However, there's a sense in which Abraham's family left him, right? Because they died off. That's how God got him isolated from the pagan influence of his father. Yet, despite this slight hiccup in plans, Abraham is credited by the author of Hebrews With this testimony, by faith Abraham, when he called to go out to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. So says the writer of Hebrews. I want you to think about this. Abraham is part of an idolatrous pagan family. Remember, God has to start somewhere. He has no history Of hearing the voice of God. There is no record of a previous encounter. There is no predisposition to Jehovah. There is no experience. No knowledge of God. Just a calling by God. Be it by vision or dream. With instructions. And the instructions were as vague. (laughs) As they could be. Go to a land that I will show you. Genesis 12 verse 1. Our text, verse 8, gives us the interpretation. He did not know where he was going. I mean, who does something as irresponsible as that? Go to a land that I'll show you, and it's a place that he doesn't know about or anything. Well, who does something like that? Well, men of faith do that. That's, yes. But what's the nature of faith? Let me read it for you. Writer of Hebrews. Now faith is being sure. Of what we hope for. And certain. Of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Hebrews 11 verse 1 and 2. Faith is. The author says. Being sure. Being sure. And being certain of what to us is our hope, our assurance. Even though we don't see it with our physical eyes. I want you to observe just temporarily the uh, etymology change in the English word hope. The English word hope. Think about this. Today, if we say to someone, well, I hope to be able to go to family conference next month. We view that as a wish, but kind of uncertain. I'd like to go. I'm planning to go. But I'm not sure that I can make it. I hope to go. The Bible does not use the word hope that way. In fact, the Bible uses hope in the direct opposite way. As that <clears throat> which is definite or certain. Let me read it for you. This is from Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that our sufferings produce perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Romans 5 the first five verses. There's nothing iffy about this hope that's spoken of in Romans 5. It's not maybe, might have, it's none of that. It's the guarantee, it's the certainty of God's word. Now if we backtrack a little to Tira's family, Joshua, for example, writing under inspiration of God said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, Long ago your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land. What I'm saying is that Abraham was very likely an idolater too. (laughs) He had a dad that was an idolater. He had a brother that was an idolater. He's an idolater. But notice the contrast referred to in this text. Your forefathers, that would be Terah and Nahor, worshipped other gods, but I took your father Abraham from the land and led him. You see the contrast? Acknowledging that his background is pagan, that they were idol worshipers. God is saying concerning Abraham, I didn't leave him in that situation. I took him out of that. I made of him something different. Something wonderful. A person that loved me. A person that sought after me. What would you do with the others? Tira, Haran. I left them to themselves. God can do that. He does do that. God took him. God led him. And if we piece the whole scenario together, it runs like this. God called him. God took him. God led him. God promised him, Genesis 12, to be a great nation. And God gave him many descendants, according to Joshua 24, verse 3. You can see God just snatching him out of that whole pagan environment and starting all over with him and making of him a great nation. Say, God can't do that. Yes, God can do that, and He does do that. We all can. We all deserve condemnation. But if God snatches some of us out of that condemnation pool and places us on the solid rock of Jesus, that is His prerogative. God did it all. And Abraham simply responded in faith to what God had done, not only for him, but in him. Men are not born with faith. They are born with unbelief. God in his calling makes it effectual, irresistible. They come because they believe. They believe because they are assured in their own minds, that's faith, that what they cannot see, namely God, is true and real and fully trustworthy. The idea that seeing is believing is not the definition of faith. Not seeing, yet believing is the definition of faith. And that is why this faith pleases God. Verse 6. Abraham did not see God, but he believed him when God spoke. Wonderful, wonderful. His contemporaries, like ours... Likely labeled him as a (laughs) nutcase. Abraham, let me get this straight. You're leaving your country. You're leaving your family. Yes. Why are you leaving? God told me to. Which God? The God who made a promise to me. Where are you going? I don't know. How will you know when you get there? God will show me. We read that and it, it seems so lightheaded, so irrational, right? This is rare, isn't it? This is what, why the writer says, this is what the ancients were commended for. It's not the normal way men make decisions and do things. Yet I say it is the most rational thing in the world to believe God, the creator, when he speaks. And what is irrational is to view God as a liar like men. And just as untrustworthy as men or to deny that God even exists. To trust God for the unknown is not the same as saying God doesn't know. God does know, and that is why it is reasonable to trust him when he speaks. He knows when men do not. He knows what is yet mystery to men. He shares some of what he knows with those who trust him. What he yet keeps secret to himself will still be sits well with us because we don't have to know all to know something. We can know truly without having to know it all. Paul says we know in part. And that's okay. That is okay. Because the part we know is a real and genuine element of the whole That is who God is and what he has spoken. The world knows in part as well, but often what they assert, they know, they just guess at. They do. They go to Mars and they find a little puddle or an impression. They say, "Ah, there must have been a lake here. They don't know that there was a lake there. It's Mars. Thousands of miles away. There's a depression in the soil. Must have been a lake there. Oh, were you there to see that? No. You find any um, fish remains there? No. Evolutionists keep looking for life in all the wrong places because they work on a godless premise. And for them, the truth will always elude them because they have no faith in God, the Creator. The Creator, who, verse 3, formed at His command the universe so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Matter is not eternal. Only God is eternal. God precedes matter, and so matter is the result of God's creative energy, and not as science so-called, more science fiction actually, suggests that matter is self-generating, that life comes from non-life. How nonsensical is that? Who's the loony bird here? The sinful heart does not believe God, and because of that, what it believes is often irrational. Some years ago, I read an article by the APA, Environmental Protection Agency, when they reported that it was considering taxing farmers. You're not going to believe this. I don't believe it, but... They were going to tax farmers $75 per head of cattle, per head, because the cows were belching too much methane gas into the atmosphere, and the methane captures the Earth's heat and is contributing to global warming. So they want the ranchers to switch from corn feed to alfalfa feed and flax feed, which produces less methane. They plan to force compliance through taxation. One loony theory, methane belching cows, used as evidence to support the equally loony theory of global warming. Global warming which will eventually destroy us. Oh, there is a global warming coming, folks. (laughs) And it is going to destroy the earth. And it's one that God has in his arsenal. Let me read it for you. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth the home of righteousness. 2 Peter 3, verse 10 and following. Yeah, there's a global warming coming, that's for sure. But it won't be from belching cows. It'll become at the hand of the Creator. Well, Abraham was not the first man to believe God, but in his own case, faith began with God's call, and every believer in this room, in our room, can say the same thing of our own faith. One day, we were people with no faith. I don't care. I was raised in a Christian home, but I had no faith. That's the way we come. And then suddenly, God's grace intervened. And the day of no faith resulted in the next day of faith. One time skepticism with cynicism mixed in. Next time trust, confidence in all that God tells us to do by his word. Faithful fathers are not always faithful, but their faith began with God's intervention. And Abraham had a Persistent and present faith the Lord worked in his life. Let me read it for you. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, and were heirs with him of the same promise. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. It says, by faith he lived. By faith he lived. Paul says, I thank God every time I remember you, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, verse 3 and following. Written to the Philippian church. Beginning faith moved Abraham from his homeland and pagan countrymen and family to the promised land. But beginning faith became faith for the present, faith to live life for God, which concluded. Growth in his faith and the structuring of his life in such a way as to obey God in a day-to-day life and living. People born anew of God don't suddenly know how to trust God in every detail of life. How often did our Lord chide his own twelve disciples saying, Oh you of little faith. Now, they had faith, but you have little faith, see? And in the case of Judas, it turned out to be no faith. But for Peter, James, John, and all the rest, little faith became bigger faith and bolder faith until we find these men defying the religious authorities of the day who tried to silence their witness of the gospel through physical persecution read about it in Acts 5. Time and time again, they were hauled before the Sanhedrin and charged never to preach any more about this Jesus. As soon as they were released from the prison, they went right back out to the town square and kept on preaching. Testimony of the people in the book of Hebrews was theirs as well. Let me read for it. To keep your lives free... From the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you never will I forsake you and so we say with confidence the Lord is my helper I won't be afraid what can man do to me remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you consider the outcome of their way of life imitate their faith Hebrews 13 5 and 5 What the writer is saying is that confident faith lives life, not with a reliance upon bank accounts and stock portfolios and 401ks, but with the realization that the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I think we modern believers sometimes think it is easy for the impoverished and the needy to have faith in God, because after all, they do not own much. They don't have many resources. I mean, who else would they turn to? <laughs> right? We have a lot, a lot of biblical data to substantiate poor people trusting God. Remember the story of the widow of Zarephath? We remember the story of the woman who donated her last two copper coins to the temple treasury and so on we're not wealthy people but here's my question are the well off exempt from the requirement of god to live by faith simply because they have the financial wherewithal to buy anything they need even though even the things that they want i admit there's a great temptation here to start to relying upon your own resources David put it this way, man is a mere phantom, I'm reading his words, not mine, man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro, he bustles about, but only in vain, he heaps up wealth not knowing who will get it, but now, O Lord, what do I look for? My hope, says David, is in you, save me from all my transgressions. You rebuke and discipline men for their sin. You consume their wealth like moth. Each man is but a breath. Psalm 39, verse 6 and following. Ha, wonderful words from David. And he says, I know people live by their wealth. Well, I'm not looking for that. My hope is in you. Solomon, David's son, learned the same lesson. Let me read it for you. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of the owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Negative a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration and affliction and anger. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 13 and following. Now the sin here is not possessing great wealth, but trusting in it. a Misplaced faith. The psalmist says, why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly and no payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and ever not see decay. He's saying you can't buy your way out of death for all can see that wise men die the foolish and the senseless alike perish and they leave their wealth to others their tombs will remain their houses forever their dwellings for endless generations though they had named lands after themselves But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He's like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves. Like sheep, they are destined for the grave. The upright will rule over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem my life from the grave. Wow. He will surely take me to himself. I love it. David says, Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. Zero. Zero. Though while he lived, he counted himself blessed, and men praise you when you prosper. That's true. He will join the generation of his followers and will never see the light of life. Psalm 49, verse 5 and following. Wow. Kind of destroys the whole idea that possessing things is the way to live. That wealth is life. Whoa. Just the simple thought that you can't take it with you. What about Abraham? His servant was sent to Laban to find a bride for Isaac. We read, The Lord had blessed him, my master, abundantly, and he has become wealthy, the servant said. He has given him sheep and cattle and silver and gold and maidservants and men servants and camels and donkeys. It's all found in Genesis 13. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear on oath and said, you must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son there. Genesis 24, verse 35 and following. Brethren Abraham had the money to buy property, to acquire deeds, to name lands after himself, to build mansions, to plant gardens, and to set his roots deep in the soil of the world's playground. But text says by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. Wow. No permanent housing, that tells me. No plush palace in the heights for all to see and for him to peruse the rolling hills of his estate. In short, his trust was not in riches but in God, and he lived in possession of his money instead of the money possessing him. He taught his son and his grandson to live the same way, and they did. They all lived in tents with their faith fixed on God's promise. How could they do that? They had what I'm going to call future faith, which drove their perception on present life. Think about this. They had future faith, that drove their perspective on future on present life how you live now verse 10 for he was looking forward to the city with foundations this is abraham looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is god Verse 13 and following. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them. They only welcomed them from a distance. See, not physical sight, but the sight of faith. The seeing that comes by believing. And I'm still reading scripture. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Wow. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God's not ashamed to be called their God. You see that phrase all the time in the Old Testament. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How did they identify this God of the Old Testament? As the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God is saying, I'm not ashamed to have my name attached to them. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in the wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. It's the only safe object of faith. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way they will live, lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So that they may lay hold of the life that is truly life. First Timothy six, verse seventeen and following. This was Abraham. This was the people of faith in the Old Testament. They had money, but the money didn't have them. Do you get the you get the difference? See, well that's easy to say if you have money to burn. I'm not just saying that. That's the way they lived. They had money for mansions, but they lived in tents. Oh, and by the way, they had miraculous faith. Again, the scripture says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, ESV says herself received power to no power to conceive, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Talking about him being dead physiologically. He couldn't produce children. And Sarah was barren. She couldn't have children. So two old people, dead procreatively. (laughs) And God made of Abraham a great nation. You know, sometimes God will let us go dead to prove that what we are able to do has nothing to do with our own capabilities, but with His empowerment. Romans 4 text says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. I'm reading scripture. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Romans 4, verse 18 through 22. Now that's faith, brethren. Abraham and Sarah believed God for the impossible. Because with God, all things are possible, Matthew 19, verse 26. And what happened when the miracle child Isaac was born? This couple developed an unflinching faith. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. You remember this account, right? Take up your son, your only son, go up to Mount Moriah. Sacrifice him there on the altar. And Abraham went about to do it. When the writer of Hebrews tells us how he could do such a thing. How could you do that? Abraham, you waited forever for a son. You didn't have a son. And you and Sarah in your old age had finally had this son. He was a miracle child if ever there was a miracle child. And God says, no, I want you to sacrifice him to me at a certain location, and you're willing to do that. How can you do that? The writer of Hebrews tells us, here it is. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Oh, brethren, that's faith. God made a promise to Abraham that it's going to be through Isaac that his descendants would be blessed. So, God wants me to kill Isaac, take his life, I will do it. But I know God will just have to raise him back to life. Because it's through Isaac that my descendants are going to come. person of faith can give back to God what God has given to him and do so gladly. He did not think of God as going back on his word, but he believed that God would simply have to raise Isaac from the dead to keep his word. You know, that takes faith into a whole different dimension, doesn't it? You and Sarah are going to have this wonderful child in your old age. They have this child. But, can I say it this way? It was the normal procreative process that they had this child. And now God says, I'm going to have you kill this child. And Abraham reasons, well, okay but you're just going to have to raise him back to life because you made promises to me through Isaac and about Isaac. Abraham did not think, he did not think, well, I must have misunderstood God about Isaac. I mean, maybe I missed something in this this promise about my heir. No, he didn't go down those roads of doubt and suspicion. No, he simply thought, God made me a promise, and God's going to keep it. My task is to obey what he tells me to do. He took the boy to Mount Moriah, you know the story, fully prepared to sacrifice him to God. And God arrested his hand, holding the knife, saying, Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Genesis 22, verse 12. This is the nature of faith, brethren, a mature faith. A grown-up faith. Faith resulting from years of trusting God and knowing that God always keeps his word. It's an unflinching faith. That was Abraham. Now consider some lessons for the heart. I think one of the tremendous lessons here is that little faith can trust God. Little faith can trust God. When Abraham began began his pilgrimage, he didn't exactly start out on the right foot, did he? He took his nephew Lot with him, who proved to be greedy, self-centered, and disobedient. Lot hogged the whole Jordan Valley for himself, pitched his tent towards the wicked city of Sodom, which was later defeated in the battle, and Lot taken captive and had to be rescued by Abraham. Lot went right back to Sodom until God destroyed it by fire. Abraham had to plead for Lot's life, and God delivered him a second time through Abraham's intervention. The disciples of Jesus began as men of little faith, but they became men who turned the world upside down. Acts 17, verse 6. Affirming as they did, we must obey God rather than men. Acts 5, verse 29. The writer of Proverbs says, The wicked man flees, though no one is pursuing. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. As bold as a lion. Proverbs 28, verse 1. Faith can grow and faith can mature as with Abraham. And secondly, faltering faltering faith can become strong. It's another lesson to learn. On two separate occasions, Abraham messed up as a husband. Once before Pharaoh and again before King Abimelech. Abraham by his own admission said that the reason he said to Sarah that he was she was his sister was <clears throat> Genesis 26 verse 9 because I thought I might lose my life on account of her that was his own confession I thought I would lose my life on account of her in other words the Egyptians the Philistines would look at her and say, wow, what a woman. Oh, oh yeah, she's married. Well, what can we do about that? Uh, if we got rid of the husband, then she'd be free to remarry, right? Well, he, th- he figured this all out in his beady little brain. But he wasn't trusting God. He had not reasoned that he was the object of God's promise, that a nation was in his loins, that a child of promise was coming through Sarah. That God had promised to make him a great nation in all the earth and a blessing to all people and that Sarah would be part of that. You know, sometimes, folks, fathers in the faith aren't very faithful. We aren't. We break under pressure. We say and do sinful things. In those times, faith-filled wives like Sarah and faith-filled sons, as Isaac, must be forgiving and allow for faith to become stronger through the failures in behavior and lessons learned. Jesus put it this way, for in the same sense, That you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Matthew 7, verse 2. So faltering faith can become strong. Then thirdly, we should learn that tested and tried faith can take you to conclusions that no one else can see. I know that trials can break men, but what I want you to see this morning is that trials can make men of faith. God's command to Abraham to sacrifice Isaac is a worst-case scenario. His son, his only son, the son of future legacy. Yet what did Abraham see in this event? Isaac was no dummy. He said to his father, Hey, Dad. We have wood. We have fire. But dad, where's the sacrifice to be offered? Abraham responded, the Lord will provide. So even contemplating the possibility that God would allow him to go all the way and actually slay Isaac, Abraham concluded that God could raise the dead Verse 19 in our Hebrews text. Well, if he wants me to take the life of my son, I could do that. He'll just have to raise him back to life because the promise is through Isaac. Brethren, that's faith. That's unfolding faith. God could do it. God would do it. It's tenacious faith. It's faith that believes God against all odds. It's faith that believes the impossible. It is an outrageous faith. God puts our faith and mine, your faith, to test as fathers and mothers, as wives and husbands, as children, even as singles if we're not married, so that by that shield of faith... We can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Ephesians 6 verse 16. We can take our stand against the devil and the forces of hell. One night in a private garden on a hillside outside of Jerusalem, Jesus met with 11 of his disciples and he asked them to pray with him. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Luke tells us in his gospel why. it says, He says, they were exhausted from sorrow. Luke 22, verse forty. Have you ever been exhausted from sorrow? The disciples were. And so Jesus prayed alone, and he prayed by himself, and in anguish of soul, and sweating great drops of blood, his faith was on trial as he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup, From me, the cup was the cross. It was the way of death. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Luke 22, verse 42 and 43. What a bleak hour. What a dreadful darkness. Jesus' faith in God's purposes. Was on trial. He is being tested to the max. But God sent his angel to strengthen him. What was the outcome? The writer of Hebrews says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy. Set before him. Endured the cross. Scorning. its shame." It's an interesting word here in Greek. Scorning—it's—it's it's a compound word. Kata, meaning down, and phroneo to think or contemplate. Thus, to think down. Colloquialism would be to play it down, or minimize it, to count it as little or insignificant. There was shame associated with the cross, let me tell you. People were crucified buck naked on a cross. The cross and crucifixion was a criminal's death, it was for losers. And yet Christ was crucified and sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. Hebrews 12, verse 2, the tested faith of Christ became strengthened faith, faith that could look at the cross and see things in it that no one else could see in it the joy of becoming the savior of his people, the victory of ascension and being seated at the right hand of God over all of his enemies, victory on those wooden beams, not defeat. The devil's power of death broken, the salvation of all who believe, secured now and forevermore. We need to pray that God will allow your faith and mine to see beyond the trials To Christ triumphant, we serve a risen, victorious Savior. Salvation has been won, it's been paid for, in full. Abraham trusted God. Not what man could do to him. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of setting your word together. See, in Abraham, we know why now he is called the father of the faithful. Such a stupendous faith. Now we know it's not not human faith. It was a gift of God given to him. You enabled him to see things and to believe things that eluded most men. And it got very personal because this was his own son. It was his only son. And he waited for years with Sarah to have this child. Yet he was able to latch onto the fact that you made promises to him about this child and, a, and how that would result in descendants for him. Well, how can you have descendants? How can nations be propagated if the child is going to be slain? If the progenitor isn't around progenerating? Did Abraham know that? Well, he knew it by faith. God said it, God made a promise to him, and he believed God when God spoke. That is a rebuke to all of us when we read things in the Holy Scriptures, and we read the promises in the Scriptures, and we don't believe it, and we don't act upon it, and we don't trust you to be carrying out your promises as you did even with Abraham. Lord, forgive us for our lack of faith. Help us to grow and mature in our faith. And may you be pleased and blessed to make of us truly sons and daughters of Abraham and Sarah. We pray this for the glory of our God. We need to be the stalwart witnesses for our watching world and to give forth the gospel that God's word is powerful, it's true, your promises will always be kept. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is from Trinity Hymnal, number 184. and sure. and thanks. You are the good shepherd that cares for our souls as we have just sung. And you never go back on your promises. You never go back on your word. Why should you? You have the power and the authority to accomplish all that you have said. No one can thwart your will. No one can can turn it about. And there aren't circumstances or unforeseen things when it comes to you. You see it all. You plan it all. So we're not talking here about a human impotence of a person. We're talking about the divine sovereignty of our God. And because of that, your will is exactly going to take place as you have ordained it to be. So help us to latch on to the promises of God To rest in them and to be assured and thankful and at comfort, knowing that whatever you have promised us, you will fulfill right down to the last letter. Praise be to our God. Amen. Amen.